This is getting better and better. Thanks for not as excited as I am to be here, man. <laughs> you're you're the first one that's reached out and said uh, that you want to come back, and actually, uh, we booked a date with you. I mean, we talked to, to a few different people, but uh, you were the first one that that uh, reached out, so we're, we're glad to have you, man. Uh, so, for those of you that don't know Ron Williams, our guest tonight, uh, second time around with him, uh, you need to know him because he was the natural bodybuilder of the decade. Uh, and he's won over 250 titles in the natural bodybuilding arena, including being a seven-time winner of Mr. Natural Universe, uh, excuse me, Natural Mr. Olympia, and Natural Mr. World. Um, but Ron's also been inducted into the International Natural Bodybuilding Association's Hall of Fame in 2008. Um, in addition to all these amazing awards, Ron's just a great guy, uh, wealth of knowledge from health, fitness, faith, family, spirituality. What else do you know, Ron? Physics? Mathematics? I know Steve. I know Steve. <laughs> That's the most <laughs> important award is that you are friends with me, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, we're excited to have you back. And, uh, you know, joining us always, as always from his uh, basement is my co-host, W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Oh, thanks for having me here. Good to be here. It's great to see Ron again. Always great to see, to see him again. Ron. Yeah. Oh, thanks, buddy. And in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. So, Ron, uh, thanks for coming back, man. I mean, I, I got to ask, uh, what, what uh, you asked to come back on. So was it that bad the first time? Well, you know, uh, I hadn't seen you in a long time, man. It's just another opportunity for me to spend a little time with you, man. I've always enjoyed our time together, and it's just one more time I can spend with you. That's cool. I have one. I have one question. Before I got a really bonus. Get... I got a bonus. I get to be with Miles too. That's right. Miles <laughs> is cool. Thanks. Well, I have one question. It's been on my mind all day long, knowing that we were going to talk to you again. And the question is. Is your wife still the smartest person you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Has she, has, she, has she been knocked down a peg or has she elevated even more? Like <laughs> if, if, if it was one or the other, definitely elevated, man. Just definitely elevated. Yes. Good to hear. Good to and hear. She still reminds you that she still reminds you that she's the smartest person you know. As often as she can. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, we were talking before we started the recording that you're you're doing a uh, uh, this mastermind type of project. Uh, what did you call it? The, the champion masterpiece. Champion masterpiece. So it's not just a weight loss project, uh, twelve week thing. What's right. the difference between this and uh, like a weight loss? Uh, That's plan? a great title, by the way. Though it's a great title. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. First, uh, Steve, I want you to ask me that question again. Miles, I want to just address what you said. It's a great title. And I'll tell you what the title means. One is a champion. There's a difference between a champion and winning a championship. And we might've talked about that last time. Yeah, but, we did. Uh, you made it, it was really interesting how you really um, delineated that and, and just nuanced um, what those two things mean. So go ahead. Yeah. So with, the, with, with this program, the champion is who you are but in order to be a champion you have to win something 
You know, you have to overcome something, conquer something. And this, this champion that we're talking about is one who conquers life, not just winning a title, but conquering life and becoming a champion in all areas of their life. And the masterpiece portion of it comes from um, something that was dropped in my spirits uh, about two years ago uh, from the Lord to put together a masterpiece. And I started looking at what are masterpieces and I looked at all the, you know, like Michelangelo and uh, a lot of the different artists and sculptors and found out that they left a work behind that was a legacy. And part of my legacy that I wanna leave behind is my masterpiece in faith, family, fitness, and finances, reach the top level that I possibly can and lead that for the world to see that it can be done. But mm -hmm. while I'm leaving it behind, while I'm building it, I'm taking a group of people along with me uh, yeah. as, I'm, as I'm going through this. So I'm not just coaching them through it, I'm in it with them. So we have this private Facebook group where they're posting their pictures, I'm posting mine, the meals that I have them on, uh, some are on keto, some are on uh, building max muscle, some are on ultimate definition. So all the different programs we have set up for them, depending on their goals, we're working on our faith, family, fitness, and finances so that we can develop this balance in life, which is hmm. really hard to do because what, what does it really mean if you gain all the money that you possibly can put in your pockets and in your home or, you know, what, it, what does it really matter if you lose your family? And what does it matter right. if you uh, if, if if you lose your family and you have a really strong relationship with God? You you still miss the point. So we want to balance our lives, and it's it's like really hard to get that fine balance. For probably the last twenty years, I was looking for somebody that I that uh, that that was an example of this balance of faith, family, fitness, and finances. And every person I found was missing at least one of the four. So I thought, well, if I can't find anybody, then let me be that somebody. You know, uh, I can't, I, I won't say I can't find anybody. I found a few. And I'm sure if I looked at you two, you're probably well balanced as well. Uh, but I'm working hard at developing this balance. Go ahead, Steve. I, I love I'm, it, man. I'm just flexing so you can see it's there. It's there. Yeah, not, I would like I, to I say forgot, me not too, as but... big as yours, but uh... <laughs> I haven't forgotten. No, but I, I remember I the like last... what you're talking about, though. I mean, because you're, you're, you know, sometimes we look around for something that we want to create in the world and it's not there, or at least not at the level that we think it should be. And then we have to create it. So I love the fact that you're saying this is going to be your masterpiece and you're going to pull people along with you as you're creating it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Which is also, you know, um, as much reading as I do about really prolific people across the board, um, there's always one or two things in their lives that seem to be out of balance, mm -hmm. you know, purely through um, not a conscious neglect, but it, it would almost appear as if, if you're somebody who does many different things, a couple of those things are gonna become preeminent. You know, you'll have more success and then the more success you have with this one or two other things, you start to put the other things on the balance in the back burner. You oftentimes you hear the the thing that suffers the most that I hear are relationships. Amen. Yeah, yeah. You know that's the ones that I really hear. Second, I hear people um, talk about 
losing their spiritual growth. You know, so all of a sudden you get a businessman and he or she is starting a business and they've got all these other things in their life. And in the beginnings, they're kind of balanced. But something starts to become preeminent. Something starts to become dominant. And then the other things get neglected. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about mostly the, the word that's resonating in my ears, the word balance. You keep talking about yeah. how do you balance um, business, faith, money, um, family, and all of those things. So that's really interesting to me. Miles, I'm going to tell you something that uh, my wife got on me about. And this is one of the times I was smart. Uh, I would I would actually pray a prayer every day. We, I would grab her hands and we would pray. And I would say, God, don't let me be successful until I'm successful. Mm. And man, we went through some struggles financially. We were millionaires in reverse. <laughs> wow. I'm telling you, we were $2 million in the hole, Steve. And wow. Wow. I kept praying that prayer. And she said, stop praying that prayer. She, she jerked her hands away from me and said, I won't listen to you pray that prayer again. And I said, sweetheart, that is important that I pray that prayer. And she said, well, why are you praying it? I said, if we, we're successful financially and in the business, but we're not successful in our relationship with God and in, with our kids and, and all of these other things are out of balance, then we'll lose everything anyway. And nothing is important. If my relationship with you is not intact, I don't care about the money. And so she said, go ahead and keep praying that prayer. <laughs> and, uh, and hey, so Ron, that day you were the smartest person that she knew. Ron, I'm going to tell you a little secret. I'm going to tell you a little secret about your wife. You don't know this and I know it. I know okay. this secret. You don't know it. Every time you announce she's the smartest person in the room and she steps up and she says she's the smartest in the room if she's with her girlfriends and you walk away she literally leans into her girlfriends and goes he's really the smart one but i got a front like it's me thanks for that miles i'm gonna remember that <laughs> i i like what you're talking about because really true success and true evolution doesn't just happen in one area I think that part of what happens when people go through this cyclical pattern, and Ron, you've been in fitness for a lot of years, you've seen it, people lose weight, they gain weight, uh, they lose it, they gain it, they gain money, they lose money, but there's, it's the people who evolve, truly evolve, they focus on each one of these areas. In fact, those are the principles we talk about at the Evolve podcast, evolve your body, evolve your mind, your soul, your tribe, and your wealth. And uh, so we're right there with you. So talk a little bit about what's what's changed for you. If you went from being in this destitute place financially, um, you know, how, did, how did you start to dig yourself out? Well, one of the things we did, well, we went to the bank and we were asking them for a loan. And this would really, this is what really let me know that we were in big trouble, man. They said, we're looking at your company and you know we can't loan you money on the company. They said, Ron, we'll loan you money, but mm -hmm. we won't loan your company money. And they said, your company is dead. You know? And I knew the products that we had were, were uh, worthy to be on the market. We didn't know how to market the product. We, began to, we started off building wide instead of building deep. Gotcha. And building building wide 
we were we were uh, building testimonials for the product. We were getting college, uh, you know, university studies on the product. We were doing all of these things, getting you know uh, all these different people involved that cost us money, but we weren't marketing the product properly. We put one big marketing campaign together, over four hundred thousand dollars, and it flopped, and that hurt us desperately. Uh, so we were doing a lot of things and we learned a lot from our mistakes, but, you know, they have this saying or this cliche that you fail forward. Well, we actually did. We did everything possible that we could do wrong. And so we knew what not to do anymore. <laughs> so anything we did at that point great was, was the right thing. So we had to restructure our company and uh, we had to, um, we had to take some chances that you take when you're a lot younger and you're single. We had mm -hmm. to take some of those chances. And we started, um, we started calculating, calculating the risk that we were taking. And we just got smarter at what we were doing. And I believe the prayer that I prayed, don't let us be successful until we're successful. It was really our time, the right doors opened, the right people showed up. And one thing is we, we treat people a certain way. And when we got rid of a marketing company, it was in such a way that if we ever wanted to go back, we could. So we developed really, really good relationships. And we were only one relationship away from being successful. And all of these relationships that we have, um, people, I realized that it's the relationships that matter, that matter most. And some of, the, some of the people that we work with just did some of the stuff for us pro bono. I mean, we said, well, how much do we owe you? We're trying to figure out how to pay. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. They would introduce us to people that would introduce us to people. And we just played our cards the right way. And we treated people well, man. And doors began to open for us. And things began to blow up. The pandemic, everybody else started struggling and suffering. Our, our business skyrocketed because everybody now needs an in-home gym. And yeah. we, were, yeah. we were waiting for it. But we mm. almost went out of business probably a year prior to that taking place. Is that usually yeah. the case though? When you think about success, it's uh, it often comes right before the darkest storm that you run into the biggest challenge. And then right afterwards, you've got the most beautiful sunset or excuse me, sunrise that uh, lights the path for you. So the real big key with that for me, Steve, is don't quit. Don't give up. Yeah. Um, don't quit. Especially if, if it's your dream, your passion, your vision, Please don't give up on you just right around the corner from from actually being successful. And you've got to believe in yourself and believe in your product and just keep pushing forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I, so talk about, Ron, what are some of the things that you teach the people that come to this uh, program? In your, Maybe in you your, shouldn't uh, ask that question because I was waiting for you to ask that, Steve. <laughs> My <laughs> goodness. I mean, that you just opened it up for me. One yes, of the biggest brother. concepts is that everything was created with a seed. Everything was created with the seed. Um, you see our fruit, our vegetables, all the trees, everything created with a seed. Uh, even, even the word of God says um, the word of God is a seed and God created everything with his voice, just spoke things into existence. But people, when your mother and father came together, mm -hmm. your father gave your mother a seed and then boom, Steve came out handsome perfect there you go absolutely and, perfect <laughs> i'm gonna ask your wife 
<laughs> are you really that perfect? Oh, you, you know, know that, uh, she'll tell you I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but that seed created you. But I noticed that as we were putting this together, I went around the neighborhoods and you would have found me in some of the um, some of the people's yards that had apple trees. And I was picking the apples up off the ground, taking the seeds out of the apples. I found that some apple, some apples had four seeds in them. Some ap apples actually had 10 seeds in them. So there were uh, different wow. amounts of seeds and seeds are perfect until they're planted into soil so they can grow. Mm -hmm. So what I found out is the seeds in my life, I had, we have seeds that are suspended and all of the wounds, there are things that protect your seeds that's inside of you. And those seeds really are your potential. Those seeds that are inside of you could be a book, could be um, a job, could be relationships, could be the weight loss that you want. But we all have these seeds inside of us that lead to success. But we have things that are covering those seeds and protecting them. And that protection is not good. That protection keeps that seed from being planted in the soil so that it can grow and produce fruit. And I noticed that when I started getting healed from the things that were protecting the seeds, we call them soul wounds. We're wounded and it protects the seed. So this particular seed is a seed of developing relationships, but my insecurity won't allow me to develop relationships. So that relational seed is being covered. So I have to heal that wound or get that wound healed so that seed can drop into the soil of my heart and cause it to flourish. I noticed that every time something was healed, something else went up on my wall. It was either a book, it was a relationship, it was, um, it was a product, it was a supplement, something else went up on my wall. My relationship with my wife, I didn't even know you could have a relationship like this. Where I'm from, where I'm from, it's if you get married, who is the next person you're going to marry? Because nobody stayed married. Everybody went through divorce or just didn't get married. And when you were married, when you were married, you were just looking at the next person to see when you were going to leave the one that you were with to be with someone else. Who is the next mm -hmm. person I'm going to be with? So I didn't know anything about uh, commitment in marriage until... Um, I really met my wife that I'm, that I'm married to now. This is my second marriage. Uh, that when I married her, I realized that marriage is forever, not just here on earth, but marriage is really forever. What God put together, let no man put asunder. And if God is not going to separate you, he's not going to go against his own desire. He's going to take us to heaven and say, oh, I changed my mind. I'm going to separate you. No, that's not God's, uh, that's not God's way of doing things. It's not mm -hmm. his personality. So that seed that we have inside of us, that wound is covering it. And when that wound is, 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 is uh, healed, it leaves a scar. Scars are really important. If you were to take my skin off and look at me, I'd be filled with scars. Scars and wounds are much different. Wounds are still painful. Wounds can fester, wounds can get infected and wounds can grow. But when it's scarred, it only shows that a wound was there. But with that, with that scar, there's wisdom because of the, the, um, the experience that you went through. There's wisdom, yeah. there's compassion for the next person that's going through what you went through. And you're evidence 
that they can get through it because you're proof of it and you can tell them and lead them out of that. So it gives you a tremendous amount of wisdom the more scars you have, but you want that wound to scar. And when it does scar, it releases seeds. And when those seeds are released, they're planted and it causes that life to flourish. And that life can, can reach its potential and become that masterpiece that we're talking about. Yeah, I like what you're talking about with the with the difference between the wounds and the and the scars because there is a massive difference. When you have a wound, it can fester, like you're talking about, but it can also kill you too. I mean, Absolutely. if people don't take care of their their wounds, they uh, they could end up killing you physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, whatever. Um, it'll it'll take people down. You know, I recently, uh, Miles and I were talking about this the other day. I just got back about a week and a half ago from a funeral of a friend of mine <coughs> that I went to high school with that uh, took his life. And I think he had some wounds that a lot of people thought were maybe healed. And uh, they weren't, uh, you know, clearly uh, they had not turned into scars. And unfortunately, he got to a point in his life where the, the wound in his soul, the wound in his mind, um, he just decided that it was time to, to the best choice for him was to end his life. And so I think these wounds are something that physically, mentally, emotionally, they can they can hurt you uh, at a very deep level. But you don't get over it by ignoring it. Uh, I like, Ron, when you when you kind of turned your computer around and you were showing the books and the different products, you know, I've always known you to be a guy that is creating something new. You're always coming up with something different. And I, I mean, if, if we're all honest, we tend to do that when, when things haven't gone well, right? Like you said, everything becomes a scar and it becomes wisdom. And now you're creating a new book or you're creating a new product from that because it's helped you to learn what didn't work. And now you're figuring out what does. So talk to the, talk to the listener out there who is maybe festering in a wound. They might be lying to themselves and saying that they're okay. They may be in that state of denial, or maybe they just are hurting and they don't know what that next step is. What would you tell them? The thing I would say to them is humble yourself because the thing about pride is it tries to pretend that everything is okay. You know, when you look at me, I would still say that I'm not okay. There are still some things in my life that, that I wanna work on. I mean, I really examine myself to say, where can I be better? How can I be a better individual? And I know that I'm not perfect. So there's something that can be fixed and worked on in my life. I can always be better. Uh, Jesus was perfect, but absolutely I'm not. My wife will, she'll gladly raise her hand. To, He's not perfect, but I am. <laughs> 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 but one of the things, I'm just teasing. She's really a, a great, and I mean, I, I just love my wife. We have so much fun together. But I would say to, to be humble and in those times when you have your biggest struggle, sometimes life circumstances humble you. Mm -hmm. And when they humble you, get everything you can out of it. Because, um, you know, when people are hurting, oftentimes we want to encourage them and buoy them up. Sometimes it's better to encourage them in the space that they're in. Yeah. And what I mean by yeah. that is this, is uh, if, they've, if, if they've done something wrong or they've uh, misbehaved somehow, a lot of times we go to them and say, hey, everybody makes mistakes. Don't worry about it. Pick yourself up and just keep going. No, 
what I do a lot of times, I say, well, how did this happen? Wow, that, that's horrible, man. What did you learn in this? Is, is, is there anything that you can glean from this to help you be better? Because when they're hurting, they're at the best position to make a shift and a change. But once yeah. they are buoyed up and they're strong again, it's like, I got this. I know what I'm doing. Uh, when, when, when you go into the military, you know what they do? They tear you down you as down. far as they can get you. And yeah. then once you're at your lowest, they start building you back up to make you think you're the 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 the, the greatest fighting weapon that, on the planet and you can't be conquered. I mean, but they break you down first. And when that person is in that broken state, uh, you can't be, you can't mother them. You have to help them by truly helping them examine themselves and be that brother, that uh, that close friend that's there for them to help them through it, but also allow them, them to see who they really are and who they really want to become and then kind of walk them through it. Uh, but suicide, you were talking about suicide. Suicide doesn't happen because of what you're going through today. Suicide right. doesn't happen because of what you're going to go through tomorrow. Suicide yeah. happens out of your past. Yeah. It happens out of your past. Yes, yeah, the wounds that you haven't healed, right? Absolutely. And, 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 and when you commit suicide, it's because you don't want to see another yesterday. Right. Yesterday right. was so painful. I don't want to see it tomorrow. I'd rather check out. Well, and yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. It's uh, you, you really choose in a different path because of the pain that you've had in your life. You mentioned humility. And I think oftentimes humility is something that is, is in our society is completely misunderstood. Humility is not weakness. It doesn't, you know, a weak person is not humble. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of strength and um, really willpower to be a humble person to look in the mirror and say, what's wrong with my life? I mean, some of the best times in my life are when I look at myself and say, wow, you are just a horrible human being in this respect. And uh, as soon as I say that to myself and I recognize where my failing is, I automatically feel better because I've recognized the truth. And when I've got the bedrock of truth, whatever it is that I'm uh, upset at myself for or that I've done that's stupid or I haven't progressed or like you're talking about the soul wounds. I haven't fixed a soul wound. As soon as I recognize it, it's like this massive mountain is lifted off my shoulders because now I'm at the bedrock of truth and I can build from that. Yeah. But Steve, there's something different about you though, man. I mean, I've always known that you're, you're not even from this planet. You know, you, you we got to talk about <laughs> normal, regular people. Yeah. There you, you go. Know, you're there from, you you're go. from another planet. You've always been yeah. that way. Uh, even when I when 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 we were I mean twenty years ago has it been that long at least yes yeah, it has been I think yeah twenty years oh my goodness how old are you, you man I'm uh, so I'm coming I'm forty five right now coming up on forty six mm -hmm. next year it's been probably twenty five years ago almost uh, since you and I met oh my goodness the sad but thing you is you still look like you the same person still look the well, same well that's because I'm wearing the hat my hair's thinning you look identical my hair's thinning. But, you know, you, you think about um, getting to that to that bedrock state by being honest about where we're at. 
uh, it's a hard thing to do. And I think it's especially a hard thing to do in our society. Um, you know, Miles and I have talked about this often. And I, he, he brought up one time, he said, you know, I feel bad for politicians because politicians are always worried about optics and how people see them. And they always have to be seen as in charge and right and like they know what they're doing. And they never do. I mean, that's the reality of it. And it's like any of us, you know, in life. But as soon as we in our life get rid of the this focus on what are the optics like? What is what do things look like? And we just focus on the humility of what things are, then we can start to grow from there. But let me ask you this. So when you're working with people across all these uh, the, the different uh, disciplines, you know, you're talking about the body, you're talking about improving their mind, you're talking about improving their their spirit and their wealth. And my experience is that if you start with the body, you tend to get a trickle down effect across all other areas. You start to move, you get your body feeling a little bit better, you eat a little bit better. Um, there was a great author that said once that uh, the, uh, that a healthy body is a dwelling place best suited for a strong mind uh, a healthy or and a, and a strong spirit, something along those lines. Uh, where do you start? Do you start with the body? Do you start with uh, a, another aspect of it? But where, where, where's your starting place when you're coaching people or with for yourself? Where do you start? Before you start, I mean, it's me, definitely can, go ahead. I just want to add, um, I don't know, and, and this might be a, a cultural, when I say cultural, um, I mean an American take on that because I'm just disagreeing with Steve a little bit um, because I just think the way our country is, is that it's so focused on your one success, whether it's business, whether it's sports. It's one of the reasons why so many people who achieve success don't really feel successful because other aspects of their lives are just totally out of balance. Now, in, in theory, because I, I call it, this is my little phrase, I call it the theory of cross-pollination. And the theory of cross-pollination, I agree with what Steve said. I do agree. It's like, but you, I think you have to see it. It's like looking, becoming successful in one thing and understanding the elements that got me successful here, I could use these in other venues. And now I'm going to create balance. So in theory, I think you are 100% correct. But in practice in this country, and I only say that because I don't know how other countries view success and things like that, but in this country, it seems like the more successful people are often out of balance because they have done the one thing, the, what is it, the famous Kentucky Fried Chicken, we do chicken, right? They've done yeah. the one thing yep. and they've neglected so many other things. It's one of the reasons why somebody like Iran can come in and say, okay, you've achieved this, but what about these other things? Because you're failing at that. You've got money, but your relationship to your wife is crap. The relationship to your kids is crap. You have no spiritual underpinning. So it's like, all right, let's fix those things, which seems like there would be a huge market for what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. No, and I agree with all of it. You've got to do them all. But I think the starting point oftentimes is the body. That's that's my that's been my philosophy because if you start with the body and then you trickle in these other pieces you tend to do a lot better because if you can control your body, you can control other aspects. But Ron, I'm curious, where do you start? What's your starting point? 
because obviously you're focusing on all of these different areas, but what's the start? It depends on the individual. It, if, you know, one thing, one thing I've found for the majority of the people, I start with their body because when I start with their body and they see that I know what I'm talking about and they start to trust me with this prize, this, mm. I mean, their body, they only have one. And if they trust me with their body and they start seeing the results, they open up and they allow me into other areas of their lives. And like mm. Miles was, was saying that he's, he's worked with a lot of people that he gets close enough to them that they want to share things that they don't share with anybody else, their, their personal relationship, what's going on. I mean, they come in and they'll start, well, you, you would know this too, Steve, because of your background, they would just start crying. You have them on the leg press machine and they're pushing. You say, let's put 25 more pounds on there. And all of a yeah. sudden they burst yeah. out in tears. That's when it becomes personal training because it gets real personal. Say, hey, what's wrong? <laughs> what's wrong? My husband, he this, this, that, and the other. And you're like, wow, uh, take a few minutes and, and, and let's talk this through and, and uh, see what we can do. And sometimes they become attached to you. I've, I had built so many close relationships with my clients, Steve, that I would, uh, uh, I would set up one day a month for their spouse to come in and work out with them wow, so that nice. we could do it together. And yeah. I, you know, I didn't become their hero and they didn't become my trophy, you know, because if they're my trophy, I'm their hero. We share something that them and their spouse is on the outside of that's, you know, that could be problematic. So I would set a day for that husband to come in and work out with her. And he would be like, wow, she does this. I mean, she is amazing. And then I would ask him questions. How is she doing at home? You know, is she cheating? Well, last week she was going to, but I told her not to. Man, if it wasn't for you, she would have cheated. You, you, thank you. I'm, I'm going to call you and find out how she's doing. So involve him so that that uh, client uh, personal trainer relationship never went beyond emotionally uh, a, a place that it was supposed to go. And then sometimes she's not as comfortable saying things about him if she knows that I'm going to talk to him next Saturday because yeah. uh, we're going to share. And then also, if I Great know bond. him, I can't take one side of it. When she says, you know what, he's this way. I'm, you know what? I think that man really loves you. I just talked to him last week and he's paying for your personal training. And I just think you might take him wrong. Why don't you try this, 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 and then kind of talk to him. And then I, I have come to the place where I would say, well, why don't you let me sit down and talk to both of you? Because I love you guys. You have a beautiful relationship. Don't let something this small interfere. And I would sit down and talk to them both and help that relationship stay together. But if I only hear that one side, I look at him like, man, he is the worst guy on the planet. And then she talks to him about me. And then he looks through the, the gym window. There that guy is again. And I'm looking at him <laughs> thinking he's the, the ogre that's with her. No, no, we're not going to have that. I'm gonna breach that together. But Steve, to answer to your question, yeah, I, I start with the body most of the time, but it depends on that individual. Actually, that's, it depends on that individual mostly where I actually start. It, it, it's where they allow me into their lives. And what I do is I, I, have a, um, I have a list of things, a list of questions uh, and a brochure that I have them go through and I examine areas of their life. Some I ask 60 different questions, but they're really 10 questions asked a different way. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna get the truth okay. out of one of them. 
to find out where they are so that I know where to start. And a lot of times they tell me their hindrances, their weak spots. Um, you know, I'll ask questions like, um, are you, a, you know, that, that find out if they're good starters, but not finishers. And I say, are you the, you the kind of person that like to get stuff started and, and you're really, really excited. And then somebody else comes along to take us over and finish it for you. Um, and they say, yes. There's, as a starter and not a finisher. So I got to get them to follow through. I'll ask them the questions a lot of different ways to see what their personality is. I had one lady come to me and say, she, she paid $5,000 to get in one of my programs. And right before we got started, she called me and said, you know what, I thought about this and, and I, think, I think I'm gonna opt out. I said, well, according to all of the information you filled out, you sabotage yourself. And if you're ever going to follow through and change your circumstance, you need to do it right here and right now. I'll be glad to give you your money back. But this is what you do. According to what you told me about you, you sabotage, you quit before you finish. And when you, when you, when you think you're going to be successful at something, you're, you're really afraid of success. You're not afraid to fail. You're afraid to succeed. If you start this program, you will succeed. If you want your life to be different, here's where you do it and here's how you do it. So I get all of that information so I can just regurgitate it back to them. And that gives you a good starting point. I like how you do that because um, there's a quote out there that says, if you want to treat everybody fairly, you treat them different, meaning that you treat them with what they need, what they need right, right then in the moment. Right. So Ron, what's, what's the biggest evolutionary challenge for you right now? What are you working on personally uh, evolving in your in your life, he's writing that book. Well, how to take the trash out? That's what he's doing. <laughs> I don't. I, I think he was dodging that. I, I don't know that he started. It. He well, got the you know, title. We talked about, you, and that was just way too easy. We talked about pride. Now, there's a couple of types of pride. There's a good kind and there's a bad kind. When I take the trash out, I have the good kind. I take it out proudly. <laughs> yeah, I take it out proud. But the thing that I'm working on proud now. Trash. <laughs> the biggest thing that I'm working on now is ministry. I mean, it's, okay. it's the thing that I really want to do. I want to, I want to transition into a worldwide ministry and, and take some of the gifts that I've been given all across the globe, not just in churches, but into people's lives that don't know anything about ministry, that don't know anything about God, because so many people are hurting and so many people mm. are struggling and I remember being that person that was hurting, that person that was struggling, that, that didn't know that there was a way out. I didn't know I had seeds in me of success. And there was a question asked earlier. And um, the answer to that question that was asked earlier is that God never creates anything without having a purpose. And when you mm -hmm. com commit suicide, clearly you don't know your purpose. And if God placed a purpose in you and it's covered up and you never knew it was there, you have nothing to look forward to. But when you find out what your purpose is, success, true success is this. When a, when a person finds out why he was born and begins to fulfill why he was born, that's true success because that's my capacity. I was born to do something uh, and I'm fulfilling it. If I'm a lawnmower, if I'm a, if just because I have four wheels and an engine doesn't mean I'm a 500 uh, race car. 
I shouldn't mm -hmm. be on the Indy 500 track. But if that lawnmower that has four wheels, just like a race car, it has an engine, just like a race car, it takes gasoline, it needs oil, just like a race car, it's not gonna be successful on that 500 track. But when the night is over, cars have been gone for five hours and that lawnmower comes off the track and he's on his way back home and he goes across the lawn, he says, that's what that thing on my belly is for. He's cutting grass, <laughs> cutting grass. Yeah, and, and that feels pretty that's good. That's what the thing on my belly is for. That's the, ne that's the next title of the book. That's what the thing <laughs> on my belly is for. See, the thing the is, he, found out, that's what the he actually found out what his purpose is. And he realized that was never my purpose to be on that 500 track. I was supposed to be mm -hmm. cutting grass. I'm good at this. So when you find out what your purpose is, it's really satisfying. And I think so many people don't know they even have a thing called a purpose. Well, and, and, and so let's back up for a second. I want to go back to your bio. Um, 250 titles, uh, over 250 titles, the top natural titles in the world. Not only did you win Universal Olympian World once, twice, three times the lady, you won it seven times, each one of what those, is, right? Where did the lady come in? I mean, is come that on, like once, a dig? twice, three times he, he, the lady. Lionel Richie. Yeah, you know. Yeah, All right. All right. So, <laughs> Not only have you won these titles seven times, but you you didn't, life wasn't easy for you to get to this point, right? To get to that point, life wasn't easy for you growing up. You didn't have God in your life. You didn't have um, championship mindset and you didn't have all that stuff growing up. You had to work to get to that. And I think a lot of times people see champions, they see people who have achieved, you know, you're a hall of famer. And they see that. That's it. They don't see the struggle, right? But you had struggle to get to that point, didn't you? Absolutely. Big struggles, man. And I was now suicidal. at this stage, what's that? I said I was suicidal for a lot of years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about that. How did, how did you get through it? How did you get through that to get to the, to the level that uh, you could win all these titles? Because that's a totally different mindset. That's a totally different person that uh yeah, right. right i mean how, how did you yeah, how did you get to that well i really believe that well i know that god had his hand on my life but there was something i remember the day that i walked away from that lifestyle uh walked away from the ghetto man i was born and raised in the ghetto and uh, i remember the day that i walked away never to return but i was uh i was a mess steve i mean I didn't even have a, a toothbrush. First time I remember having a toothbrush is when I was in the military. Uh, I had to learn how to brush my teeth, man. I mean, I was just a, like a feral child. Uh, I remember drive-by shootings. I remember, you know, and, and, and sleeping in garages when I was on the streets by the time I was 15. But I really believe that the biggest thing that changed my life is I became desperate for something different, not to settle for where I was. Desperate, just desperate and passionate about, there's gotta be more to life than this. If, if there's no more to life than this, then I don't want it. I don't, I don't even wanna be here. And I'm willing to try anything. And so out of my desperation, uh, I went to desperate measures to make changes. So I think desperate people do desperate things. And if they're passionate, then they can get out. I mean, I had absolutely nothing. 
the ghetto is like a vacuum. And if there's any part of the ghetto you like, if it's the language, hey, yo, dude, check this. If you like your pants hanging low, if you like the, the baby mama, if you like that kind of thing, I mean, any one thing that you love about the ghetto, it'll suck you right back in. But there was absolutely nothing that I loved about the ghetto. I just wanted out. I didn't know what was on the outside of that box. I just knew I couldn't stay in the box any longer. And I left, I just walked away with nothing. Uh, I had a great job at the time. I was working for the, for the military as a, uh, as a civilian. And I just walked away, man. I didn't get unemployment because I quit my job. I quit. And uh, I came to Utah. And I didn't know if you quit your job, you couldn't get unemployment. I thought you got unemployment if you just wasn't working. I didn't know you couldn't quit. You had to be laid off. So I came to Utah, man. I, I, I didn't have a, uh, very much money at all, just the little savings I had. And I remember my first client that I worked with, uh, after the first month, he was supposed to pay me and he couldn't pay me, Steve. And he gave me a VCR and a TV. <laughs> I couldn't pay bills so, with a VCR and a TV, man. He said, You can't eat the best, but at least you're do. entertained, right? <laughs> he said, That's the best I can do. I couldn't even pay tithing with that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, it's a desperate like that, time first, wait, go back a little bit because that was the most um, interesting. Uh, encapsulation of the ghetto I've ever heard. Because you're right. I mean, I've, I I come from that. I've lived smack dead in the middle of Harlem. And you're right. Um, like every venue sucks you right. You like if you if you can't see your way out and you there's things you like, and you start getting drawn to them, it it comes with its own crew of corruption. Mm. You know, and, and there's some things. I mean, there are some things. I mean, there are people, you know, obviously people who are really religious, who live in the ghettos, they kind of, that they, they stay there and they, they never do anything bad. Actually, they're the pillars of the community. But everything outside of that, you know, I, I, I was in sports and sports brought its own bunch of thugs and criminals. And, you know, and I was, they, they had called one of my, my nicknames was the next because we had had a series of guys go to the NBA. And I was along that line where everybody thought I was going after um, Butch Lee, Artie Green. And it was like, Miles is next. And there was always a group of thugs around me. Uh, Miles, we'll buy you champagne. We'll do this. And when it didn't work out, they dropped me like a hot potato. <clears throat> but but you, I've never heard it quite encapsulated like that, where whatever you get into, it's like a vacuum. And it can just suck you in. And it'll blind you to the possibilities of what's going on in the outer world. So I was just brilliant. I just love that. I'm going to use that. I'm stealing that. I'm putting that in my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think about any tribe, any group that you're a part of, if, if you like where you're at, if you like the tribe, it can pull you back in. And Ron, I want to go with to, to what you said with desperate times, desperate people do desperate things. And you do things different when you say that I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to create a different life. I remember talking to you. It's got to be probably 20, 25 years ago, because I, I wanted to know what it was like to compete uh, in bodybuilding. I'd never done it before. I thought, well, this would be fun to at least do one, give it a shot, 
see what I think, kind of play with it, see if it's something I want to do. But then the more you and I got to know each other, the more I was fascinated with how you lived your life. And I remember one conversation in particular where I'm asking you about competing. I think it was in the universe, maybe it was in the Olympia. And you told me about uh, flying into a city and then you weighed yourself. You, you saw that you were bloated. You were not uh, like, you know, you had, you were carrying too much water. You couldn't stand on stage like that. And so you had to get a sweatsuit on and you had to go do cardio for every two or three hours to just kind of sweat everything out. You had to eat a certain way. You just had this whole routine. And I remember thinking to myself, that is just the craziest thing. Like I was blown away that you were doing all of this stuff so that you could then stand on stage the next day. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that flying affected the, uh, affected you that much and made you to look to where you didn't show all your definition, right? That, that, uh, uh, that happens to people because I've never flown and then stood on stage in my posing trunks before. And I'm listening to you tell me all this stuff that you did. And it blew me away. Just the, the attention to detail and the level of dedication. And I think you said this on the last episode of like, what would Mr. Olympia do? Because I, I want to be Mr. Olympia. When people are desperate, they can do desperate things in a negative way, but I don't think that desperation is a bad thing if it's used in the way that you've used it because you've said, hey, you know what? I'll do what it takes to be successful. I know what's not working. And so, yeah, I'll be the guy that puts the sweatsuit on and goes and stand, gets on the treadmill for an hour at a time to sweat it off, change my diet up, do what I need to do in order to be successful. And far too often, I, we, we just see people make excuses, right? It's, uh, there, there, there's a level of comfort there. So I think it's impressive. How do you get that into uh, another human being? How do you help them to see that? that you got to get rid of the excuses and you just got to figure out a way to do what it, what it takes. One is be around them long enough. And one of the things I do with a lot of the clients that I've worked with is I would work out with them because a lot of mm. times when they work out by themselves they feel like I've gone the distance and this is all I can handle and then yeah. they see me and I'll put on three times the weight and when it looks mm -hmm. like it's hard I don't have another rep I'll do five more yep. and they'll say how in the world did you push through that same way I pushed through it the pain the pain is not an enemy. The pain is a friend. You have to mm -hmm. embrace it and push. They say, oh my goodness, this guy's great. No, no, but you push through the pain. You can invite, you can use pain and um, as a friend until you don't need it. All the pain that I went through in my life uh, was something that I couldn't change. I had no jurisdiction over. But if I'm running track, if I'm doing leg extensions, if I'm doing lunges, I'm the one who controls that. I'm the one who controls, I can turn it on and I can mm -hmm. turn it off. And being able to control it and push through that pain barrier became something exciting for me to do because I could do more reps, which means I can tear the muscle down a little more than the next guy. And I can recover and repair better than the next guy. And I can condition my body better than the next guy. So I use all the things that were considered negatives as and embrace those things to my benefit so that I could be successful.
because like I, I don't know if I said this last time, but every time I stood on stage to win a universe or Olympia or a world championship, at that level, the genetics are very, very high. I mean, it was at least two or three yeah. people on the stage with me that were born and gifted with better genetics. Mm-hmm. But they could never out-train me. They could never out-diet or eat the way I ate. They were never really as committed as I was committed to winning. You know? Yeah, and so, everybody I know that's been successful, and, uh, you know, and, and those like you that have been successful at a very high level in what they've chosen to do, there's a relationship with pain and there's a relationship with kind of that darkness that is pretty impactful. You know, you don't let the <laughs> darkness overcome you. You don't let the pain uh, control you, but you, you, you've, you become acquainted with the darkness and you become acquainted with the pain. And then you looked at it and said, I'm, I'm in charge here. That's right. You don't you don't yeah. own me. I own you. Yeah. I own there's you. a um there's a a video of um David Goggins talking with uh Joe Rogan. And Goggins is talking about how he was doing pull-ups for 17 hours straight. And how he doesn't listen to music. Anyway, he he it's it's hard to say to, to create the emotion of what he was saying. But he had gotten to this place, this really dark place while he was going through this. And where most people would say, they quit, I can't go any further. His voice lowers and he says, when he got to that place, he said he kind of looked around and he said to himself, we got to live here. This is the place. Yeah. And Joe Rogan responds in a way, I call it the man orgasm. When, when men talk about these places that other men want to go to. And all Joe Rogan says is, oh, and he just responded in this way. And I responded the same way yeah. because yeah. Goggins had created this atmosphere of a place, one that I had never been, and that if I had ever been there, I'd probably walk out. And he totally reframed that place where he said, we got to live here. And I thought it was an amazing segment on his show. I think I like what you talked about, Ron, too, uh, relative to what Miles is going through. Working out together. You know, I I worked out with you several times. And I remember those moments where you would push through. And it taught me how to dig, how to find that deeper place inside of me. In fact, the other day, I was, uh, I got to the gym. I've got the same routine every, every morning. I wake up at 445 I get up, um, you know, get my clothes on. I'm at the gym training. And uh, sometimes 4.45 is really early and sometimes 4.45 is not. But uh, those mornings where it's really early, I'll get through a few sets. And I think back to the training sessions that I had with you and the times when we'd work out together. And oftentimes I would see you just kind of sit down, close your eyes, and then something changed inside of you. And you'd lift that weight and you would do it. And then you'd kind of look at me and you'd laugh a little bit. You're like, man, I didn't think I was going to get that. (laughs) And, uh, but you did because you saw it first. 
So talk a little bit about how um, you use visualization, because I know that's a big tactic that you use not only in bodybuilding, but uh, in how you've created your life. Well, one thing, Steve, visualization has been my whole life. I mean, I've, I've used it my whole life because reality, when I was younger, was always ugly. And when I closed my eyes, I could create my own world, man. So I used to, I, I would visualize often as a little kid, eight, nine years old. I didn't know everybody didn't do that. I would close my eyes and I would see the world completely differently the way it could possibly be. And then when I started competing, uh, even in boxing, I would I would I would set up a, a plan in my head, and most of us call it you know. And then we would we would we would actually shadow box. But I would set a plan in my head of how I'm going to uh, approach my opponent. In shadow boxing, everybody can win. But when you're in the ring and you've got a worthy opponent and you start your shadow boxing and he punches you <laughs> one time really, really good, the whole thing changes. <laughs> you know? That ain't no shadow. That ain't no shadow. <laughs> <laughs> That's for real. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, the possibility of getting knocked out is right there. Uh, I would close my eyes and I would set a plan. But in this plan that I would set, I would troubleshoot it. What if? He hit me here. What if he hit me here? How am I going to respond? And I would mm. respond to that whole fight in my head. And mm. once I set my plan, regardless of what my opponent did, I'm going to execute my plan. It's not, it's not my business what he does. What is my business is what I do. I know that he can't outpunch me. I know that, uh, uh, that he can't uh, outlast me. I'm running 13 to 15 miles every single day with my arms up like this. And he's not going to outlast me in the ring and he's not going to outpunch me. I'm going to drive him in the corner and this is how I'm going to do. I was probably the shortest, I was the shortest fighter at 181. Uh, they were a lot taller than me, but I would, you know, they could have the body. I would just hold my hands up really high. They could have the body, but if they went for the body, they suffered for it. Uh, and I would drive them into the corner and just throw these heavy blows. I mean, with, with, with my complete body, bam, earth shaking. And I made my mind up. This is the way the fight is going to go. And regardless of how he punched, what he did, he wasn't going to stop my plan. And for, for the fights that I had, I didn't have a Mike Tyson. I was always, uh, uh, I, there wasn't a Mike Tyson even in my mind, but if I'd have ran into a Mike Tyson, maybe this plan wouldn't have worked. <laughs> but <laughs> in that particular time, I was the Mike Tyson. I was the angry one. I was the one uh, that was aggressive. I was the one that didn't care about life. I was a suicide kid. I mean, I didn't care about living or dying and I was willing to make that sacrifice. So I would see it in my head. When it came to bodybuilding, I would visualize, and when it came to working out, I would visualize the same way. I would, I would see it in my head the night before, and it was hard for me to even sleep. And I knew that this one set meant everything. It meant everything. And if I could just push through this one set, then I would be satisfied. If I couldn't push through that one set, how disappointed I would be after that set was over. I couldn't let myself down. And so I would visualize it in my head, and I would go, and I would mimic what I saw. I think it's a great, um, a great practice for living an unexamined life. You know, this, uh, if you live an examined life, you're, you're planning and prepping ahead of time so you can do everything that you want to do. 
And then at the end of it, you've got to account for it. You know, did you do what you promised yourself that you were going to do? That's a hard thing to do. And I think that in our day and age, um, everybody wants to blame somebody else, right? And I think about presidents. What do we do? We hire a president, we elect them, they get in. Every single one does the same thing. They blame the last administration. Doesn't matter. You know, if you're in charge, you're in charge. In my mind, you take over, you're commander in chief. I don't care if you're for president. <laughs> right. I don't care if you're uh, orange and, and yellow hair and a, and a uh, former TV star or if you're a senile old man like we got today. Like, you're in charge. That's you. It doesn't matter what the last person did. But how many decades have we heard that from, from the top levels of what we would call leadership? And I think it's despicable. I mean, in my mind, when you are living that examined life, you're planning it ahead of time, you're doing what you're talking about, you're visualizing and then at the end of it, you've got to account for it. And if you, you either hit that one rep that you told yourself you were going to hit or you didn't. And if you didn't, then you got to figure out why. And you figure out what's it going to take for that next time. That's right. That's right. Uh, I think there's, we a, do it this there's week, a... We're there's definitely going to get it in next week. There's, yeah. a, there's a market difference <clears throat> of um, what you just said when you are the sole person that's in charge when you're talking about you know, it's like looking at a team sport and looking at a sport where it's just the one individual. Um, I, I keep thinking, I always think that, yeah, you might have a problem with people who, you know, like say presidents who talk about the previous administration, but these things are continuous mm -hmm. and they're continuous. So when you come in, you are cleaning up the mess of somebody else. You're creating the mess for somebody else. And I just, you know, like in sports, there's 11 individuals, there's 11 individuals. Mm -hmm. And when you have 11 individuals, there's but so much you can control if you are just one of those 11. And you, you have the right to say, those guys over there screwed up. I did my part. They screwed up if they really screwed up. Yeah, I don't if agree. You are, I, I don't if, agree because I, I, I've been in leadership positions where multiple times. I mean, leadership matters. I've gone into situations where the leader before screwed up and it does no good to say that they screwed up. You just walk in, you take what you got and you fix it. And, uh, no, I, but I agree with that, but you have to say what took place that, what are you cleaning up? That's well, yeah, the, the big sure. question yeah, is, yeah, what you, are you cleaning up? You're cleaning yeah. up somebody else's mess. So you yeah. might not go out, you might not go out and say it. You might not sit there and go, Oh, right. you know what? Right. Miles' administration before that, but you're cleaning up the other mess. Yeah. No, no, that's no. but that's life. And and if if we take personal accountability, we're cleaning up our own mess. So we got to do right. that every single day, right? Right. So if you're talking about bodybuilding, or you're talking about anything like say tennis. If mm -hmm. you're talking about tennis, you don't Finances. walk into a tennis. Um, doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just think that you know you could look up and go like you you got your finances together, but the market's not together. Yeah. And and and, yeah. and there could be a couple of industries that screwed up the market. And yeah. you have to be able to say, they screwed that up. You can't say, this is all on me, knowing that it's not all on you. I, yeah. I, just, I, just, I just think it has something to do with the, the, the whole individual ethic that we live by. And, you know, like it's like an athlete who says, well, you know what, <clears throat> I don't want to make any excuses, but he already made the excuse. <laughs> right. And well, you know, I think if, your ankle is, if your ankle is busted, your ankle is busted. 
you know, you can't right. say like, you know, I'm not going to use that as an excuse. Well, if it's really busted, that's a pretty good excuse. <laughs> but you got to figure out how you're going to how you're going to win despite that, right? Right, you do that. I mean, you do. Yeah, because I mean, how many people grow up in difficult circumstances and then uh, turn out to be natural bodybuilder of the decade, Ron Williams? How many people start from those difficult circumstances? And choose to become a champion. Choose to now, at almost sixty years old, be oh, in yeah. great shape, build their body, and teach other people. That's all personal, personal choice and accountability, right? No, I, I'm not disagreeing. That's why I made it. That's why I made a distinct, a distinct remark about when you go into a gym, you are by yourself. Yeah. Or yeah. It, there's 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 collective and there's individual. The individual can assume total responsibility, especially if that individual is the person doing the work and needs to get something done. But when you look at the collective, you could look around and go, you know, I got to clean this up. But they pretty much screwed this before I got here. Yeah. So, Ron, let me ask you this. I mean, if you're like me or, or anybody else that's human, you don't hit every rep. You don't hit every every weight that you're doing. You don't hit every goal exactly when you want to. What do you do when, uh, when you have some, uh, some failure or you fall short? A failure, if you, if you fail, you realize that you're not a failure because you only become a failure the last time you try. Mm-hmm. And Beautiful. So you may fail at this, but you keep trying until you succeed. Uh, what I, one of the things I did, Steve, is I set a goal. I was at 15 reps at 315 pounds squatting. I set this stupid goal. I said it out loud. I said, it seems like there's no limitation to what I can do. And I said, I'm going to do 50 reps at 315. That's 50 crazy. reps at 315. And guess what? Within six months, I did 50 reps at 315. But I did one rep, one to two reps every single week. And I would see it in my head and I would go and do it. See it in my head and I'd go and do it. And I was so glad when I hit the 50 so it could be over, man. I just wanted (laughs) it over. But I knew I couldn't stop until I hit the 50. And when I said it, I couldn't go back on it. It was my word to me. And, uh, you know, I would get to 30 reps and people would run towards the way and I would scream, get back, because they wanted to help me. But I had, I, you know, it looked like at 30 reps, it was my last. I had 10 more reps in me. Hmm. I mean, and it, I started to think there's got to be a place where, uh, where you reach your top level. You can't go any further than that. Yeah. But where it is, I don't know. And uh, I never really, when it comes to squat, when it came to squatting, I never, I never found out, man, what I couldn't do. Um, but if I set a goal, I don't goal, think you ever found out on pull-ups either, did you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to uh, what seventy-five one time or something like that. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was with Scott Frogley. I did a, I, I would did pull-ups against the Marines. And yeah. at the Arnold Classic, and I beat the Marines. I, and I and the thing about it is, I did it three days in a row. I went the first day, 
It was the best that day. Somebody beat that. I had to come back that same day and beat that record. And then I came back the final day and did the, the most pull-ups I'd ever done. So, yeah, it was crazy, man. Yeah, I love that story. I didn't know Scott was with you. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah that's He's awesome. Like, Come on, Ron, you can do it. I was saying, let's just wait <laughs> to the last day, man. He's like, no, you do it today and nobody will ever beat it. I tried it yeah. this way. It didn't work. <laughs> I'm going to have to give him a hard time next time I see him. We're going out to dinner soon, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll punch him a little bit for you. We should get him on. Yeah. Yeah, Scott's great. Well, Ron, uh, I mean, what a pleasure it is to have you back on, to have another conversation. Um, yeah, man. I know we said this last time. I'm going to say it again. I'd love to have you back on again in the future because um, we love learning from you. You are a source of wisdom, and you have, you're have you a man that has achieved so many amazing things. And I think that, uh, you know, something Miles and I talk about regularly, that if people could see the pain it takes, if people could see the work and the effort, not just the prize, um, I think that would be inspiring too, eh? because oftentimes we see that beautiful picture and we see those trophies, we see all these accomplishments and we think, man, I, I wish I was there. Yeah. But uh, I think seeing people go through it too, it's inspiring. I know it was for me watching you go and, and train and compete. It was uh, inspiring. It pushed me further in every area of my life. So uh, thanks again for coming on, my friend. Great to have you. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the well, three of us can go to lunch or something, man. I've been trying to get out to lunch with you guys. Let's do it. Let's do it. Miles has a little bit further commute. He's in Ohio, but we'll get him out here. <laughs> but you you and I go grab lunch for sure. And uh, when Miles gets out here, we'll do that. Well, yeah, you know, we I'm really sorry. Lunch when, yeah, we'll, we'll just have another time we can get together when he comes. I like it. <clears throat> That's yeah, a good I'm start Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> I'm starting yeah, to really miss my restaurant, Whiskey Street. I keep <laughs> yeah, seeing these you pictures of there a lot. Oh my God, because the food there is just tremendous. Yeah, and uh, and they keep, you know, they have an Instagram page, and they're always putting their food up. And every time they put it up, I just think, go buy a ticket. She just fly to Utah just for the restaurant. I tell you that every week. You need to do that. <laughs> well, uh, to our to our listeners, uh, on that note, it is time for us to wrap up another Evolve podcast. We want to thank Ron Williams for coming on and uh, my co-host, W. Miles Riley. Uh, what an amazing conversation. Great to have Ron back on and sharing his personal wisdom with us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ron, you're always doing some really cool stuff. What's the best way for people to follow you and get in touch with you? Well, best way is probably ronwilliamsministries.com or... Um, ironchestmaster.com championlife.com you know um, one of those websites or you know Facebook Ron Williams Facebook 777 be great that's awesome and you do your you do your ministries on Facebook right I see you on there do you do it on your website as well yes it's actually um, uh, logged into my website okay so if people have missed it they can go back through and see what you do and it's great stuff i'll tell you i've uh, i don't always catch it when you're live but i do go back and watch them and uh you, you're not only a great bodybuilder and a great man but you got a passion and a and a skill set and a gift for teaching and preaching and uh it's inspiring to to watch what you do so oh thanks steve i appreciate that man and you said it ronwilliamsministries.com yes sir okay 
yeah. I'm gonna go yeah. check it out. Join that, find Ron on Facebook and uh, make sure that you continue to uh, follow the great stuff. Uh, Miles, I, I don't know what you're wearing tonight, but it's not one of the new things that showed up the other day. I mean, we love the American flag and all, but- uh, This is this is America in black and white, baby. What was it that <laughs> Tiago was stealing from you the other day? So, <laughs> I had recently been gifted some new, new Evolve gear. And it was perfect gear because it was sweatshirts, actually two hoodies, which is now fall, so they're perfect. And my son, my 13-year-old son, dug in the bag and took one, and I took it back because I had just spent about $500 in clothes for him, but he loved the gear. So he's like, Dad, I want this. I want this. I was like, give me my shirt back. Give it. It's like, and anyway, I just say all that to say we got the brand new hoodies, the gray, the green one is beautiful. If you are a Green Bay Packer fan, I think you should get on the shop and pick up the green hoodie with the yellow Evolve logo. Got the standard gray. So folks, get on over to our shop, look around, find something that makes you look good in this beautiful fall season that we are experiencing probably all over the country except for maybe Southern California and Florida. So get on over, yeah. pick up something nice. Yeah, guys, all of your uh, purchases of our clothing uh, do two things. Number one, they help you to remember to evolve or get out there and meditate, do the things that are important. And it also helps us support the podcast. Uh, in addition to that, we'd ask that uh, if you like this show, share it with your friends, give us some ratings. It helps us to get more amazing guests like Ron on the, on the podcast. Um, you've been listening to the Evolve podcast. You are fantastic. But uh, now it's time for you to get out there. And evolve. And evolve. Evolve.